Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Locals to Legends Wrestling Radio, brought to you by Rockstar Records, 810 East Main Street, Tupelo, Mississippi, To Local to Legends podcast with your host, the voice of Ten Dollar Wrestling, noted author that has never been published, and the heaviest CWA light heavyweight champion in history, the king of all wrestling media, Gene Jackson, and his co-host, the star of Taylor TV, the man who has wrestled Jerry Lawler one thousand two hundred and thirty-nine times and never won, Neil, the Real Deal Taylor. Welcome once again to Locals of Legends Wrestling Radio. I'm your host, the king of all wrestling media, Gene Jackson. And I'm joined tonight, as always, by my co-host. And from what I understand, reading online last night, the new EPW heavyweight champion, Neil the Real Deal Taylor. Is that true, Neil? <laughs> that is true. Uh, it's been uh, been an interesting weekend. Of course, I've uh, worked the uh, worked concert Friday night, the Oak Ridge Boys, uh, who... Uh, still in their advanced age, sound really well, and can, by God, put down a catfish dinner. I don't think I've ever seen so much catfish ate in my life as the damn Oak Ridge boys. And then uh, went over, went up to, to Boonville uh, to EPW Wrestling last night and uh, got involved in a match. Next thing I know, I'm the EPW champion. So uh, it's been a uh, been an interesting weekend. <laughs> well, cool. That's that's. Pretty awesome. So, uh, so tonight is our uh, our Memphis Wrestling Memories special that we're doing, and of course that is kind of a prerequisite to the Memphis Wrestling Hall of Fame event they're having May thirteenth at uh, Jerry Lawler's Hall of Fame Bar and Grill up there on Bill Street. Uh, tell me a little bit what you know about that that whole shindig that's happening over there. Well, um, like like you just said, it it's, it starts off Saturday. Uh, up on uh, up at Bill Street, Jerry Lawler's Hall of Fame Bar and Grill. Um, they will be inducting Jim Cornette into the Hall of Fame, uh, and but there will be a cast of um, folks there throughout uh, Memphis wrestling history. Uh, of course, Jerry Lawler will be there, obviously. Um, uh, Bill Dundee will be there. The Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart's coming in. Uh, beautiful Bobby Eaton. Um, Doug Gilbert, Coco Beware, uh, legendary referee Jerry Calhoun will be there. Uh, so it's going to be a uh, an entire night of uh, of uh, old Memphis memories, and, and I'm sure a lot of storytelling um, led uh, the the master of ceremonies is Brandon Baxter, who is a who was a, a big time wrestling fixture uh, throughout the '90s. So uh, it should be a uh, – definitely should be something that uh, if you're in the Memphis area, you should go by and uh, 
go by and uh, and check out what's going on. I know that there's several different uh, things throughout the day that you can uh, uh, participate in. Uh, I think the uh, Hall of Fame ceremony actually starts at 7, and then I think they're doing a VIP Q&A uncensored with Jim Cornette. So I can only imagine <laughs> how that's going to go. <laughs> that's a key so word that there, be, I'm sure, uncensored. Oh yeah, so that should be uh, that should be worth the price of admission right there by itself. So um, do encourage anybody that's in the area to make sure and go by and uh, check that out. Uh, I may try to swing by there for a little bit myself, um, but uh, should be uh, should be exciting stuff. And uh, uh, of course, being you know uh, knowing a few of them guys, I know they have some pretty crazy stories to tell. And then you mix Jim Cornette in the middle of that. You know, I'm sure it'll sure enough get <laughs> sure enough get crazy. So, should be a good uh, should be a good time. I'm sure it'll be a little more uh, <laughs> be a, it'll be a little more outgoing than his his last Hall of Fame speech that he did for the Rock and Roll Express. I'm sure there'll be a lot more <laughs> colorful stories and and language in this Hall of Fame speech than there was uh, at the WWE Hall of Fame a few weeks back. Yeah, it was uh, it was funny to hear him talk about on on uh, his show, the Jim Cornette experience, about how he went out of his way so much to try to make sure and be nice to everybody that he ran across. If they stuck their hand out to shake their hand, he would shake it back and be nice. And if there was anybody that he just did not want to see, he tried to steer clear of them and I think um, Kevin Dunn was the only person that I, he he said Kevin Dunn saw him across the room, turn around, and went the other direction. So he said he didn't have to he didn't have to show, he didn't have to show his ass any during the middle of the, the Hall of Fame thing. So, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm pretty sure the uh, the gloves will definitely come off uh, Saturday night. Yeah, so make sure if you're in the area, go check that out. And uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. But anybody that's uh, that's listening to this, I'm sure, is is exposed to Memphis wrestling over the years and is probably a fan of it. I would assume there may be some people listening that that didn't get to see the the glory days of it. They might have caught the tail end of it, the the Power Pro days, or even the the Rhythm and Bruise days of, of Corey Macklin's Memphis wrestling. But uh, it, it all ties together. But of course, I started watching it back in the the mid eighties and since have went and, and watched a lot of old, but there's a lot of, I tell you what, anybody that's listening that, that didn't get a chance to see a lot of the old stuff. Uh, I'm sure, you know, this as well. There is a ton of Memphis wrestling on YouTube now, uh, from like 79 on like, uh, more than you could watch in, in probably a year. I mean, there's a ton of it. I, and so a lot of the stuff that I didn't get a chance to watch back in the day, uh, a lot of times I sit here at night and watch a lot of old episodes, and uh, some of the quality is kind of rough. It's kind of hard to watch, but a lot of it is, is surprisingly really good to be as old as it is, and probably you know third or fourth generation tapes before it got put on YouTube. Yeah, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, uh, a lot of the stuff that I've watched of Memphis wrestling, you know. And I I didn't really start watching Memphis Wrestling until probably around 1992, 93. And, uh, of course, you know, I missed the – I guess I missed the glory days of Memphis Wrestling. But uh, it was still, you know, 
um, you know, me being a young guy, you know, watching wrestling, it was still entertaining to watch. You know, looking back on it now, it's, you know, pretty interesting to, to hear a lot of the backstory, you know, and the stuff that I got to see and then found out what was actually going on. But um, a little bit of research for tonight's show, I'll tell off on myself. Uh, if you go to YouTube and uh, go to the Memphis Wrestling Video Vault uh, playlist, there is a ton of um, Memphis Wrestling clips and interviews and all kinds of stuff there that, I mean, anything that you can imagine Memphis Wrestling, it's pretty much uh, in that playlist. So uh, anybody that wants to catch up on some old stuff, and we're talking about uh, old promos from Hulk Hogan. We're talking about uh, when the Blade Runners uh, came in the first time. Of course, they went on to become Sting and the Ultimate Warrior. Um, All kinds of stuff on there, you know, Anything that you can imagine, you know, all the um, all of the famous storylines that came through, uh, uh, you know, Lawler and Kaufman and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, make sure and uh, you know, check that out. Anybody that's interested in watching that or looking uh, looking at Memphis wrestling history. So, for you personally, from when from around the time that you started watching it, like what stands out to you? Like, what's one angle or match or something that that you saw on TV personally that that really stands out in your mind? You know, when somebody mentions Memphis wrestling, that that really stands out to you. Probably when I first started watching it, the 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 angle was it was uh, Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett against the Moon Dogs. And anybody that remembers the Moon Dogs from those days, I mean, they were just, especially on television, man, they were just killing those job guys. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of guys that would um, get to the building. I hear this story after the fact. They would get to the building and find out they were they were working with the Moon Dogs, and all of a sudden they'd have to go to the bathroom, and you'd never see them again. And man, to watch some of those matches, <laughs> to watch some of them matches, I, I can't I, honestly, Gene. I can't say that I probably wouldn't be right in line behind them because man, some of that stuff, some of the stuff the Moon Dogs did to some of those job guys was just, I, I mean, this, I mean, nothing. Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> Chair shots like you've never seen. Mind. I mean, they were. I mean. There was those old-time, you know, heavy metal chairs they were grabbing out of that studio, and they were just warping them over them poor guys. I, I imagine if we could get Johnny Morton on here, I figured during his Ripley Prim days, he probably had a run-in or two with the Moondogs and could probably share personal experience of some of those matches. You know, I, I've heard him talk about that before, and, and I know that he was involved in some of that, and... Um, you know, he'd be the first one to tell you that if Larry Latham come toward you with a chair, I mean, the worst thing you could do was run. They said because if anybody ran from him, it'd just piss him off even worse. <laughs> so it just made it worse. <laughs> I can imagine. So, but, you know, that was the first angle I remember. And, and they that angle stretched out for, I think, somewhere close to a year because they did that on television. And then that was around the time that they were in the Mid-South Coliseum, and then they were out, and then they went out to the Big One Expo Center. Uh, you know, and it was kind of bouncing around a little bit because that was – I think that was right around the time that the um, – uh, later on that the Mid-South Coliseum, they were starting to be issues with, um, you know, the building being out of date, you know, outdated and, you know, right. stuff like that. and. 
but I remember, um, you know, them making the loop, you know, because they did uh, Jonesboro, and um, they were still doing, uh, they were doing Ripley, Mississippi, and they were, every now and then they would come down and do Tupelo, or they would do um, Smithville. Um, they would do Smithville High School, and I remember uh, one time. I went to a show when, there once. Yeah, I remember them uh, plugging that match, uh, Lawler and Jared against the Moondogs in Smithville. Um, but that was probably be, that was the that was the first angle I remember watching in Memphis, and it was uh, like I said, man, the uh, the Moon Dogs and Robert Lee. Remember Robert Lee, the manager with Oh the yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, he would blow that they, damn whistle the entire time they're out there just beating the brakes off these guys. That whistle would be going nonstop. Like, oh, bad enough you're getting half killed out there. You're having to hear a whistle blow like Bill Alfonso the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it, in my it was funny because my grandmother, who didn't watch any wrestling, she knew exactly what was going on when she heard that whistle on the television. She knew <laughs> that it was the, that the moon dogs were out there <laughs> beating somebody up. But, um, you know, as annoying as that was, I guess it was definitely memorable. What, uh, well, I'll tell you, what was one of your – go ahead. I'll tell you three. Uh, there's there's three main main angles from when I was a kid that I, that I remember, and then, then they all involve Lawler. Um, but one of the very first ones I remember is uh, Lawler, was, Lawler was in the angle with uh, Austin Idol and Tommy Rich. And uh, and Lawler, uh, Idle and Rich rammed uh, Lawler into the post. You know, they crotched him on the post. And, you know, of course, he was out for a few weeks, and they showed Biddle where he was about to go into surgery. Now, years later, when shoot interviews come about, you find out that Lawler was just going for a vasectomy, and that was the angle. (laughs) Because they knew they were going to have footage (laughs) of him going into surgery. So they have uh, Idle and yeah. Rich, you know, ram him, and then, and then he goes and has a vasectomy, and then he shows back up with uh, Bam Bam Bigelow as his partner, and then they come and they ran Tommy Rich's nuts into the ring post. And uh, I remember me and some of my friends, because uh, I was in about probably fourth or fifth grade around that time, we got to wrestling out on the playground, and we grabbed a dude and crotched him into the post oh on God. the swing set. <laughs> <laughs> Swear to God, uh, we did. Oh got in trouble. God. Had to go. <laughs> had to go sit in the room by ourselves for half a day, and then ask us why we did it. And we're like, well, Jerry Lawler and Bam Bam Bigelow, and so that was. We we created a few more anti wrestling people that day, uh, and, but then the <laughs> next the next thing that comes, <laughs> I, I don't know why that that just came to mind today as I was thinking back, and then, of course my, the, the same buddy. Uh, my my black friend James Atkinson, after we after we crotched the guy on the ring post, was like, I wonder how they throw those fireballs. But luckily, we didn't delve too oh too deep gosh. into that line of thinking because our best our best bet was going to be light a newspaper and just throw it at them, which I would later see Charlie Park do to Chris Kilgore to show in Jackson, Mississippi. But that's uh, <laughs> that has nothing oh to do with Memphis God. wrestling. So we'll talk about that another day. But uh, another one I remembered is all through. Um, as a kid, whenever I'd watch, you know, Memphis wrestling, Jerry Lawler was always after the world title, and he was, you know, he was wrestling, you know, the the Funks way back, way back before my time. I only saw that on videotapes. Around the time I started watching and remembering, 
he was wrestling Nick Bockwinkle for the AWA title, and they would have these 60-minute time limit draws. And then, of course, he had wrestled Terry Funk all those years before, and Flair came to town. He wrestled him for the NWA title several times. So the big story was always Lawler chasing the world title, Lawler chasing the world title. So finally in 1988, he won the belt from Kurt Henning, and it was a huge, huge deal. They made a big deal out of it on TV. He was finally getting his title shot, and it had this 800 number where you had to call and vote, and either the special referee was going to be Kurt's dad, Larry Henning, or the special referee was going to be Jackie Fargo. So me being the mark I was, I was begging my parents if I could make this dollar ninety nine call to vote for Jackie Fargo because, you know, we didn't want <laughs> Kurt's dad to be the ref or Lawler wasn't going to win the title. And so I was quite bummed out when my parents wouldn't let me call and vote. What's it got? You think about that. That is so genius because how many, especially back then when people were, you know, really weren't smart in the business, you, you know how many thousands of dollars they made off that damn hotline for the referee you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many calls they got. Jackie Fargo is going to be the damn referee, but I'm sure they made enough to pay, you know, Jackie Fargo and whoever else just off the the money they made off the calls to that that hotline. But I don't know, it's stuff like that. They don't, I don't know, they don't do a lot of extra stuff like that to make a few bucks. But anyway, um, you know, they they there was a whole videotape dedicated to it, and it's on YouTube as well. I know I've shared it a couple times. Um, you know, they, they announced it was Jerry Lawler day in Memphis and they had a parade and they gave him the key to the city and all this shit. And, uh, and he ended up winning the world title. And a week after he won it, he came to one of the car lots in Tupelo and he had the world title belt there. And so I begged my mother all week till she took me to Tupelo to Dossett big four or whatever the hell it was there, the big Chevrolet dealership or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so I got to take my picture with Lawler and, and, and got to hold the the AWA world title. And I thought up to then that was the, the greatest thing that would probably ever happen in my life. You know, because being a kid and being a fan, you know, belts are like a huge deal. And uh, I just thought oh, yeah. that was the greatest thing ever. I still got those pictures somewhere. I wish I could find them. We'd put them up on the locals, to legends uh, website. Cause I'm sure that would be, about as funny to see as, as me and my friend Brad dressed up like the Nightmares for Halloween back in 1987. But uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, that's out there too. I'd love, I'd love, I'd love to see that. <laughs> Brad, uh, my friend Brad had to paint the mustache on his face because he was Ken Wayne. And uh, even back then, something <laughs> told me not not to be Ken Wayne. But anyway, that's another. Oh my lord! <laughs> another one that we won't go off on. <laughs> But uh, and then th- and the third big angle that I remember most, uh, I remember uh, we were in in Lexington at my uncle's house, and of course, even though we're over there visiting family, you know, stop what I'm doing and go upstairs and watch watch wrestling because I couldn't miss it. And that was the day that Eddie Gilbert hit Lawler with the car in the parking lot, and um, that one was that one was huge because I mean you know at that point the age I was you know people were always telling me oh wrestling's fake wrestling's fake and you see him get hit by the freaking car and roll off the side of it and you're like that's not there's no way he could fake that you know and uh, you know that was like the craziest thing ever I had ever seen for years and then of course uh, as we've talked about on the podcast a couple of times before when I was working on that book about Eddie Gilbert I got to talk to several different people who were there that day. And, and heard all the background story on, on the day that he he ran over Lawler with the car. And I guess we can talk about it a little bit now. The damn book's never going to happen, so there's no need yeah. to keep any of it 
and I, cause I don't think we talked about any of that kind of stuff in detail when me and you talked about it before, we just talked about the book, but I talked to, uh, well, I talked to Jimmy because Jimmy Blaylock was there that day. He was doing Bundy the Gorilla, and so oh, wow. so Jimmy's part that that Jimmy told me, um, Eddie and Doug were going around, and Eddie said, uh, "Hey, are you in a car?" And Jimmy said, "No, I'm in my van." And Eddie goes, "Okay, never mind." And they and they walk away, and Jimmy had no idea why he was asking that, and he was just going up to different people, go, "Hey, are you in a car? What kind of car are you in?" So, uh. So downtown Bruno, I interviewed him, and then of course also Lance Russell. So their stories were were pretty much exactly the same. That Eddie goes around the dressing room, and finally he comes across Brian Lee. And Brian Lee had just come into the territory, been there like two weeks, and he was in his sister's Ford Tempo or, or whatever kind of car that was. I think it was Ford Tempo. And Eddie goes, "Hey, can we borrow your which car?" Is, <laughs> yeah, which was a nice car in those days. <laughs> Oh yeah, back then that was that was a, a very nice car, but you know I guess Brian Lee just assumes that Eddie and Doug are going to run to the store <laughs> down the <laughs> you know Union Avenue and come right back. So he hands them the keys and they go get in the car, and unbeknownst to them, <laughs> he's sitting there watching the monitor with everybody else when Jerry Lawler goes crashing into his sister's windshield and cracks it all the way across. Uh, but you know according to Bruno that you know they. The way it all come about was that Eddie and and Jerry Lawler were riding back from Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, they were they you know they was needing to book another match at the Coliseum, and Lawler goes, well Jesus, Eddie, what you know what are we gonna do? I mean, God, y'all have done everything but shoot me or run over me with a car, and uh, Bruno said Eddie stares out the window for a few minutes, and uh, Eddie goes, well. What if we hit you with a car? And Lawler laughed. And Lawler laughed at him. And then he sat there a minute. And he goes, "Well, you know, one time in high school, as a as a stunt, um, a guy, you know, run towards me with a car, and I kind of jumped up on the hood, and we made it look like he, you know, hit me with it. We might could pull that off." And he said, "So it started out as kind of a ha ha thing." And said, "By the time they got back to Memphis, they had ironed out how they were going to make this work, you know. And and the plan was that he would, you know, he would hit him with the car." And then Lawler would, would lay out a couple of weeks, and then they would come back with a big match at the Coliseum after they had teased that, you know, he might have to retire, or he might be dead or whatever, you know. So right before they go out to do it, they said, Lawler, pull Eddie aside and go, look, you know, make it look good. And said, Eddie talks, oh, don't you worry about it. You just, you know, you just be sure to jump. And so – I guess Doug had told uh, Bruno most of this, said that they got in the car and Eddie's revving it up and he's revving it up. And then they go to take off and it dies. And he says, oh, shit. And he pops it up neutral and cranks it again. And he jabs on the gas and it takes off. So he come at Lawler like twice as fast as he'd originally intended or you know, Lawler had intended for him to. And said so Lawler barely jumped up enough you know, to get up on the hood and said, that's why he hit the windshield so hard because the car was going way faster than they, they thought and said, Lawler was just going to go up on the hood and kind of roll to the side. Well, instead he fires him up over the hood. He hits the windshield. And he kind of rolls off the top to the ground. And so, you know, Doug told Bruno, he said, we pulled out of the parking lot. We didn't know if we had killed him. You know, at the very least we thought we'd crippled him probably. And so they, yeah pull out and go down the road and they pull in at a little restaurant or convenience store or something down there and they call the studio 
And they're like, well, hey, is he okay? And Eddie Marlin's like, well, he's okay, but, you know, 100 people watching TV have called the cops. You know, they've called the local police department reporting a hit and <laughs> yeah. run. <laughs> so, so they come back, they, Eddie and them come back down, and a couple minutes later, police department show up, and they're they're going to arrest him for a hit and run. And so Lawler has to go and tell them, you know, hey, don't don't arrest him. It was a it was a stunt. And so basically, they tell Lawler, go well, look, our phones are like our phones are jammed up with people calling. You've got to go out on TV and and let them see that you're okay and kind of let them know that this is a a bit, you know. So you know, against his better judgment, Lawler hobbles out there. And, you know, basically, he doesn't say, well, this was a work, but basically, hey, I'm okay, and by God, Monday night, we'll, you know, take care of this. And it kind of killed the whole thing because, you know, one minute they thought he was dead, the next minute he's, he's wrestling Monday night. So, But uh, I just, you know, of course, you know, then Eddie had to face Brian Lee because his windshield was busted, <laughs> or his sister's windshield was busted, <laughs> rather, and the hood was all dented up and everything. And so they had to work that out. But I just, I, you know, I thought that was – a pretty pretty crazy story, and uh, <laughs> watching it as a kid, but that was what made Memphis wrestling different. You know, I watched WWF and NWA and Continental and and everything, and and you weren't ever going to see you know King Kong Bundy run over Hulk Hogan with a car, or you know <laughs> Stud and Bundy ram Hogan's nuts in the ring post, or somebody get a fireball thrown in their face, and it just you know that's what made it different and and made it cool you know to me and my friends at school to talk about on monday morning what we saw on saturday and uh those are three of the main ones that stand out in my mind i mean there's uh, hundreds of things over the years but those are three that just are always like top of the list of crazy things from my childhood that i remember yeah, but you know it's it's funny that uh you talk about you know a lot of that stuff they did in memphis and how you wouldn't see that on wwe on wwf but you know they do so much of that stuff now that oh, yeah. you know I mean <laughs> you've got so many of these different um, uh, crazy things they go on television now. And you can't help but wonder if they didn't get the idea from some of this stuff from Memphis. You know, a lot of people say that uh, the Tupelo uh, Confession Stand brawl uh, was the the birth of hardcore and you know contributed a little bit maybe to the start of ecw and all the things that went on there so it's oh it's, absolutely it, it, it's funny how so many things from memphis was uh, almost before their time you know all of the gimmick matches that they did and all of um you know it's just, it's interesting that you know the way you know, everybody thought things they did in Memphis was so crazy, but hell, now they do them all the time. I mean, I could totally see them trying to do the um, House of Horrors match back in the, you know, back in Memphis. So <laughs> they put it all yeah. better than they do now. But, uh, you know, I can see that. Well, you know, if you if you go back and look at the old cage match, I mentioned the, the Lawler and Austin Idol, Tommy Rich angle, and, you know, the the key part of it was when they – they finally got Lawler and, and Austin Idol in a cage and they were, you know, they're supposed to settle. And it was, it was the Lawler Southern heavyweight title and his hair against, you know, Austin Idol leaving town or if Austin Idol lost, he was also going to have to 
personally refund everybody's ticket money out of his own pocket. And, you know, and they, they had the big cage that completely closed in ringside. And it was basically, it was just like the hell in a cell, just without the top. Yeah. It was the first place you'd ever seen a cage that in, enclosed the entire ringside area. And, of course, that's the night that Tommy Rich came out from under the ring and, uh, you know, come in and help pile drive Lawler, and then they shave Lawler's well. The story goes they shave Lawler's head. Now, if you watch it, you know, they gave Lawler a short haircut. <laughs> they didn't exactly shave his head yeah. all. They had a, a freaking, you know, guard on it and uh, gave him a, a flat top, basically. But, you know, and they talk about it this day. You know, Heyman was with him, too, and, you know, they liked to not got out of there alive. I mean, it was, it was dang near a, a riot, but nobody had ever done something like that before, you know, with Rich being under the ring all night and coming up. And, of course, since then, you know, like you say, WWF, everybody's had somebody come out from under the ring, and you know that it's it's been done to death. But again, that's the first time you saw the big cage like that that covered you know the whole ringside area. And I don't know, I found that funny going over the years, especially like going to these Mid Atlantic Fan Fest and watching shooting reviews. You know, a lot of those Carolina guys are always like, "Oh, that Tennessee bullshit! All that shit they did down in Memphis." But I don't think any territory influenced wrestling more than Memphis because, like you say, to this day, they're doing things that, that started there. You know, that's all the hardcore. I don't care what anybody says. You know, Paul Heyman came through there and watched them have a concession stand fight. You know, they because, you know, they redid that a million times. You know, the original one was Larry Latham and Wayne Ferris, which would later be Moondog Spot and Honky Tonk Man against Lawler and Dundee there in Tupelo. But they recreated that a dozen times. Well, even the angle you were talking about earlier, they did the moon dogs against Lawler and Jarrett. And they did a concession stand fight over in, uh, Kennett, Missouri, you know, years later. And so, you know, that's, that's where ECW came from. All the crazy stuff you've seen in ECW came from all those concession stand fights and all the crazy shit they did in Memphis all those years. So, yeah, I mean, for all the people that want to knock it, I mean, it's, it's heavily influenced everything they've done since then up till now turning ambulances over and like say the house of horrors match as god awful as, as that was but you know that was the kind of crazy stuff back they did back then plus long before you had a an undertaker or a cane or any of these movie monster type heels you know memphis had you know, Frankenstein and Freddy Krueger and Jason and Leatherface and pretty much every horror monster that had ever been in a movie has, has passed through Memphis, for better or worse. I'm not saying that was a, a great idea on their part, but, you know, they... Hey. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was I having think, some I think you dropped technical off there. problems on... Yeah, I was having some technical problems on my end. I apologize for that. But... You even go back and, and talk about like the characters that in the early 90s with the WWF about, God, they had, you know, P.L. Hopper. I mean, they had a, a plumber and a, and a hockey player and all this other stuff. Well, look at the gimmicks they did in Memphis. You know, oh, yeah. they did, you know, they, hell, they had the Christmas creature. They had the, the, um, uh, 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 the Ninja Turtle, the, they had all kinds of crazy stuff there. So, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right in the fact that, you know, people, a lot of people make fun of the stuff they did in Memphis, but hell, that stuff that, you know, Vince ended up doing later on. 
Well, you know, I was talking about when you had dropped off, and I realized you weren't there, but I was just still talking to fill the air, so it wasn't like, oh, Neil's gone. Uh, but, you know, I was talking about the fact that long before you had Undertaker or Kane, you had Freddy Krueger and Leatherface and, my, like, every horror movie monster that's ever been in a movie has passed through Memphis and fought Jerry Lawler at some point, you know. Yeah. And most of them moved with the mannerisms and the things that you would later see out of the Undertaker and Kane because, obviously, Vince McMahon can't use copyrighted, you know, horror movie characters. Even, you know, Bruce Pritchard said on his show that The Undertaker was, you know, they stole a lot of stuff from Michael Myers and, you know, movie yeah. heels like that and, and, and incorporated into his character. So and that was definitely Memphis influence for sure. Well, you know, and it's, um, and going back to talking about, you know, the God Almighty, all the crazy gimmick matches they did in Memphis. They did the, uh, I think the gold, the, what the, the coal miners glove match started there. And then, um, they, of course, talked about the Tupelo concession stand brawl that hell happened. <laughs> it literally happened a half mile from my house. Um, yeah. I, uh, Jack. Jacks went to a party over there last night in the same exact building. It's like some kind of private club now or something, but it's uh, oh, wow. it is interesting. <laughs> it is interesting how um, you know it seems like people made fun of Memphis, but you know Memphis influenced so much. Um, and then of course later on, you know Memphis kind of. Got the big shot in the arm, and Andy Kaufman came in, which was one of my one of my favorite characters, and, and still to this day, um, Kaufman was such a <laughs> such a big shot in the arm to Memphis, and it's funny to me, uh, you know, going on what we were just talking about um, with you know everybody making fun of Memphis, you know, Kaufman originally went to Vince Senior and tried to do that angle there, and Vince Senior right. wouldn't have it, and I think he talked to what Bill After. Yeah, and Bill After was the one that he hooked, hooked him, him up. Yeah, yeah, he hooked him up with uh, with Law in Memphis, and of course Memphis jumped all over it. My God, look what it did for look what it did for Lawler and the whole Memphis territory. I mean, they went from went from drawing four or five thousand people to Vince South Coliseum to packing it out. Well, I mean, it made him a, a nationwide celebrity because nobody had any reason to know who Lawler was until he ended up on David Letterman. And, you know, and that that was a news story all across the country, you know, when yeah. – here's the funny thing about it, and I'm, I mean, I've probably said this on here before, but, I, I mean, I know growing up, adults, like, and, and my father included, um, all, but all kinds of adults would say to me because they knew I was a little wrestling fan would say – well, you know, all that wrestling's fake, but, you know, he really did pile drive Andy Kaufman and put him in the hospital, and, you know, he really did hate him. That was that was all real. And, you know, they believed that until that damn movie come out and, you know, finally showed that it wasn't, and, you know, it, up, <laughs> it upset a lot of folks yeah. who had been had up until then, and they thought every bit of wrestling was fake, but they believed the Kaufman stuff because, you know, much like Matt Hardy in the last, you know, year and a half, he was so dedicated to staying in character and kayfabe. And I mean, that dude stayed in the hospital in Memphis for three days, just so the newspapers would report that he was in traction in Memphis in the hospital following the match. And then he went and did all the news shows. They said he showed up for his 
comedy bookings, wearing a neck brace. He showed up for taxi TV tapings, showing wearing the neck brace, and and yell. And then people would ask him about it. Go, what's wrong here? I had Jerry Lawler, and he'd cut a promo on Lawler, you know, out in Hollywood <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, you gotta, I mean, you gotta appreciate that kind of that kind of dedication. And like I say, not till uh, till broken Matt Hardy, just in, until he showed back up in WWE, has anybody been that dedicated to kayfabe and and keeping a character going? So. You, you know, you gotta love that. Yeah. Well, you know, and well, I mean, it's it wasn't nothing but just but just keep trying to keep kayfabe alive. I mean, you know, it wasn't anything that any of the other guys wouldn't do. And if you really look at it, oh yeah, you know, the heels didn't hang out together, and the uh, you know all that kind of stuff. But you know, the funny thing that, and I've heard, uh, of course, I read Lawler's book and. I've heard I've actually heard Lawler talk about this before about you know when he went and did uh, Man on the Moon the movie about Kaufman's life which is one of my favorite movies but yeah uh, <clears throat> he talked about how uh uh Kauf, about uh, how Jim Carrey just submerged himself in that character and he was literally um Kaufman the entire time that that uh they were on they were on the set every day that he was there and he actually had people refer to him as Andy. And when it got time to do the <laughs> it got time to do the scene with uh, the wrestling scene that, you know, uh Jim Carrey actually tried to tried to uh, push him to to actually give him a pile driver. So that they could, you know, possibly reenact the whole thing all over again. Well, you know, I I heard him say on something just recently. Actually, he was on some, some YouTube clip that I watched that, you know, he swore that, you know, the way Jim Carrey acted on the set and acted towards him, that he slapped Jim Carrey harder in the scene they shot for the movie than he actually slapped Andy Kaufman on Letterman when it happened real the first yeah. time because he was so <laughs> mad about the way he was acting. Yeah. Well, I know that I think the story was that. Um, what they did was they had a, a body double for for Jim Carrey, and uh, he would go to pick Carrey up for the pile driver, and then they would say cut, and then the double would actually take the bump. Well, right. somehow or another, Jim Carrey got word to uh, whoever was with Lawler and said that he wants you to actually give him a pile driver. And, of course, Jerry <laughs> said it put him in a weird spot, and um, – he uh, <laughs> they did the thing, and then uh, he didn't give him the pile driver, and then you could tell that Jim Carrey was actually getting mad, and um, Lawler ended up somehow or another. He told Milos Foreman, the director, that they were that, that Jim Carrey was getting pissed off because he actually wanted to pile drive him, and my, uh, Milos Foreman called cut on the whole thing, and and uh, that's when he walked over and spit in Lawler's face. And Lawler snatched him up. <laughs> and uh Lawler snatched him up and before he knew it, he uh he said Lawler had Lawler said he had a he had a, his arm around Jim Carrey's head and Jim Carrey's bodyguard had Jim Carrey's legs and he's just kinda of dangling in midair and uh <laughs> Lawler realized what he was what he was probably fixing to be facing and he just let him go. But uh Jim Carrey tried to reenact the whole thing where he went to the hospital and all of that. And uh, but that that whole angle did huge things for Memphis. 
I mean, apparently Jim Carrey had missed the part in the script where he exposed that they were actually friends and never were <laughs> never were mad at each other for any of that. But, yeah. Yeah, for anybody listening he, uh, that you know, your only exposure to Andy Kaufman is is the wrestling clips and uh, he's he's a very interesting guy his whole life and and career was interesting his uh manager bob zamuda wrote a book about him i highly recommend reading it because there's some crazy stories where they used to you know he he didn't just do that kind of shit in wrestling he'd go on talk shows and do you know shit that wasn't planned and just all kinds of stuff even more than what they showed in that movie and uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating to read i'm like he 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 didn't consider himself a comedian. He he was like a everything to him was like a social experiment to see how people were going to react when when he acted a certain way. Yeah, and uh, it's it's something else. Yeah, and I still have your book, by the way. I have to bring it back to you. <laughs> the oh, well, you're I, talking about. I still have it. <laughs> but that know, wasn't it, that wasn't a, a plea to get it back, but. <laughs> But, you know, it's – and a lot of people don't realize, you know, they did that match in Memphis uh, when Lawler did the pile driver, but they did that match the entire loop. And, of course, the Internet wouldn't exist at sin, so they could do that. I mean, they right. did that They did that angle, you know, Louisville, Evansville, Memphis. They did it the whole loop wrestling every night. Well, Which, then, you know, they that went on so long, eventually they turned – they turned Kaufman babyface against Jimmy Hart, and they had some matches. And then, you know, then eventually Kaufman turned back on Lawler again. And, yeah, that went on for like a year and a half or two years. You know, it wasn't just the, the one-off like it gets portrayed a lot of times. There was a, a whole lot more to all of it. And that was, of course, the most famous incident out of all of it. <laughs> yeah. The um, – I, I guess – let me ask you this, and 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 I don't know, I may I may be having a brain fart here, and may have totally missed it. But what was your hands down favorite angle that come out of Memphis? Like, what is when you think Memphis wrestling, your favorite angle? Whew. yeah, to put it to one, I don't know. That's kind of hard to say. Um, You think I would have thought that out before we did this? But uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess it would be one of the one of the three that I was talking about earlier. I mean, uh, I don't, I, I get, I guess really the the Lawler against Tommy Rich and Austin Idol was probably my favorite because it's one of the first ones I really remember watching as a kid, and uh, and at that point I still believed all of it. So you know, I, I guess I remember that one better than I do the rest. And I don't know, I was pretty, you know, I was pretty psyched when he won the world title, but I guess, I guess as far as like an, an angle, I guess that was probably, probably uh, one of my favorites. You know, my favorite of, of all time from Memphis, and it actually was in, uh, I believe it was in April of 81, was when uh, Lawler and Funk did the empty arena match. Um, that entire <laughs> <Yeah>. angle, <laughs> that entire angle was just—I I mean, that, that's like wrestling 101. I mean, Terry Funk was such a believable heel, and he was so damn crazy. I mean, you honestly didn't know what what he would do from one week to another. He's on there, he's on there calling Lawler a son of a bitch and calling him a jackass and all kinds of stuff. And, <laughs> 
typical crazy Terry Funk type of, of fashion. And it was just I, – I don't know. The whole thing was so believable because everybody played your part so well. And Funk was so strong as a heel. I mean, Lawler didn't really have to do anything to play himself up because Terry Funk was so damn believable. You know, it, yeah. he was just nuts. <laughs> And you then, know, he's somebody you know, that I, I went back and yeah. watched a lot of the stuff you're talking about and really got a bigger – like, to me, you know, Funk had kind of went away and became a movie star when I was, you know, first watching wrestling. So the first thing I really remember of him is when he came back in 89 and did the angle with Flair. And uh, yeah. and then I started going back watching all this old Memphis stuff and the empty arena match and all that. And, uh, and then, of course, some of the stuff down in Florida with Dusty Rhodes was, you know – was amazing as well, but yeah, Terry Font was like one of the best heels ever. Like you said, you could have put you could have put anybody in that position against him, and they would have been over as a babyface because you know he made it impossible not to be. Yeah, and I mean those promos were just priceless, and I mean it's you know it's just storytelling one on one, and you know they they brought I mean they drove that that angle out for so long, and I mean even hell two years ago, Lawler wrestled Terry Funk in the, in the Omen Arena in Jackson, Tennessee, and they brought all that back up again, had this big brawl all over the building, and I mean and hell that was <laughs> thirty well let's see it was thirty almost thirty six years ago. Matter of fact, it was 36 years ago last month, I think, that all that you know all that went down. I mean, it's just you know it's 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 crazy the believability of it, but you know it's you know and I credit all that to Terry Funk and just how crazy he was, and how believable he was. I've seen a, a Q and A from one of the you know one of the many fan fests he's done, and um, you know and they're and, you know most of it's completely out of character, but. You know, somebody came up and, and they said uh, it was one of the first couple of questions before he really got into it and really got to, you know, talking behind the scenes stuff. And the guy just comes and goes, "Tell you know, yeah. what are your thoughts on uh, Jerry Lawler and Dusty Rhodes?" And of course, Funk. I wish I could do a good Funk impression, but he's like, <laughs> "Jerry Lawler is a son of a bitch, and Dusty Rhodes <laughs> is a fat son of a bitch. That's what I think of him." <laughs> Next question, and, and the guy stood there like he was going to, you know, start, and then he didn't. He goes next, and they, the guy walked away, and they called, called the next guy up. And of course, you know this was like in 2012, you know. Yeah, of all the people I've, I've gotten to work with, the one person I wish I'd got to work with and never did was Terry Funk. I, that would yeah. have been so much fun. I could imagine. Uh, being under that tree for a little while, I mean, to work with somebody like that, it's, but, oh, me and Rosie got to be around him at that Atlanta fan fest, um, just like, cause you know, there's out walking around and it just so happened we kept ending up like in the same places he was. And I don't know, it was just, it was interesting just listening <laughs> to him talk, you know, and some of the stories he would tell, but they like, uh, you know, like I was, I went in the restroom, used the, the used the restroom, and he's in there taking a piss at the, at one of the urinals, and Reed Flair comes in, and, uh, and Reed Flair walks up to him right as he's stepping away from the urinal. He's like, "Sir, it's such an honor to meet you. You know, all, all the great matches you have with my dad and everything. And I just I just want to come and introduce myself. You know, I'm I'm Reed, and 
well, hold on, son. I want to meet you, but let me wash the piss off my hands first. And he goes over there and washes his hands. And then he, he shakes his hand and hugs him and starts telling him how he loves his dad and all that. And I was just like, that's the kind of shit that you get at these things you can't really. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to stand in line and take a picture with somebody, but, you know, to, to see an interaction in a Here's bathroom with yeah. Blair's son and Terry Funk is, is interesting to say the least. <laughs> Yeah, I can. I can only imagine. I, I I I hope maybe at some point I'll get to meet him because that would be that would that would be uh that would be a huge deal for me. I would love to meet him. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that you know, for years I had seen the the censored version of the of the empty arena match on a couple of videotapes. And then now it's on YouTube, like the completely uncensored version. Of course that was like in what, 81 or 1980 or something like that. It was, it was, and, you know, it was April of 81 when I looked it up. There you go. And of course, you know, the, and, and Funk's just cussing like a sailor. And of course they beeped it out on, on TV back then. But, you know, I don't know. It's just funny to go watch the uncensored mm-hmm. one. They didn't beep any of it out. And, Lance Russell's reaction to all of it, you know, and I can't imagine <laughs> how hard it is to have a freaking empty arena match, you know, the kind of fight they're, you know, they're, them two are going to have, and there's nobody there that had to feel weird as hell in that big old yeah. empty coliseum like that. Well, I mean, just think about, I mean, if, I, I remember trying to, you know, going through a match in training and just being in there and just trying to keep going and how hard that is. I mean, I can only imagine, of course, you know, they really, all they did was brawl, you know, kind of, but yeah, you know, and, and, you know, Lance Russell in there trying to call that with nobody to work off of. And, you know, there's no crowd response to work off of. I mean, he's literally just saying what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I guess that was the only way to pull off the, the spot where he, Gets the spike in his eye was in an empty arena. But. Yeah, that, yeah. But that's um, I, that's probably one of my one of my favorite angles when I think of Memphis wrestling. I think of uh, the time Terry Funk was there, and man, those those promos were just those promos were just priceless. And uh, I, I guess another person that we should throw out there talking about crazy promos and stuff was um handsome jimmy when uh handsome oh, jimmy yeah. would come through <laughs> and uh the uh you know all the crazy stuff there and there's a video on youtube on that uh, uh memphis wrestling vault that i was talking about where lawler calls uh handsome jimmy a fag could you imagine that on <laughs> yeah. television now oh my god they would be shut down <laughs> forever immediately yeah, he calls him a fag <laughs> and slaps him in the face. <laughs> yeah, because he's trying. Yeah, to, that's crazy. He's trying to, to weasel his way. Yeah, he's, he was. I think Handsome Jimmy was trying to trying to weasel his way into a, a tag match, of making a six man tag with he and Dundee with Lawler and Dundee, and and uh, <laughs> Lawler wouldn't have it. But it almost made Lawler come off like a heel, <clears throat> you know. Oh yeah, but. You know, it was this. I, I remember watching that, thinking, I can only imagine if something like that happened now. But um, oh god, yeah. But, 
But it was fun the way they always did Handsome Jimmy when he came in and out because when he came in, and I remember thinking this as a kid, it was a big deal when he was there. You know, they, right. did, the, they did the music videos and all that stuff, and it was, you know, it was a big deal. And, you know, I, and I forget that <clears throat> part of the time when he was there, he was a heel. You know, Handsome Jimmy yeah. was actually a heel. So, you know... And basically doing and, the same thing. A damn he does good one. Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, another another angle that didn't age too well, kinda like the, the Lawler calling him a fag thing, you know, the stuff that I don't know if you I don't know if you've even seen the YouTube of this, but I remember when it was going on, which you know, wasn't as big a deal in the eighties, but when they did the angle with the stud stable and Brickhouse Brown, where they they're out there bringing him the watermelon and calling him boy and all that shit, and like you watch that now, like oh my god, like there's no way in hell they could do anything close to that now. I mean, there was, of course, you watch a lot of old Memphis and Continental wrestling. Man, I, I didn't realize back then, you know, how much like racial undertones were to a lot of them promos. Like, but that stuff yeah. with Brickhouse was was pretty pretty damn rough uh, when you when you watch it now. Uh, I, I don't. I don't guess I remember. I don't guess I remember seeing a lot of that. But, but you know, yeah. If you go so Google Brickhouse Brown Stud Stable and watch two or three of the promos there, there was like a couple of weeks in a row where they were uh, celebrating something, and, and Robert Fuller. And of course, you know Robert Fuller already sounds like a slave owner anyway, the way he talks. And oh, oh yeah, Brickhouse, we want to make you comfortable. We, we want to have you know. So we we brought you a watermelon out here and all this shit. <laughs> and of course, it it leads to Brickhouse turning babyface, obviously. So. I guess it all worked out. <laughs> God, it just you watch it now, like, good God, they'd get thrown off television for for doing half of that. <laughs> but you know, you mentioned you mentioned Bill Dundee, and even though this was before my time, but this is stuff I, I read about and went back and and watched. Uh, it's out there, and like you say, it's in. I know it's in Dundee's book. I think they mentioned it in Lawler's book too. But you know, him and it's amazing to think back. Lawler and Dundee sold out the Coliseum. You know. They had every variation of, of a match. You know, they had hair matches and loser leave towns and belt versus the car and, you know, all this shit. But, you know, they did the one thing where Lawler Lawler beat Dundee for the Southern title. So Dundee puts his hair up against the Southern title, and they shave Dundee's <laughs> head. <laughs> and so then Dundee comes out on TV, you know, and, and Lawler's berating him, and then his wife comes out there. And uh, and so then he starts making fun of Dundee's wife, talking about she told him don't don't come home bald headed because he's ugly enough as it is, and we'll end up <laughs> talking her into putting his wife's hair up. And of course, I'm sure at the time anybody with half a brain was like, well, there's no way in hell they're shaving his wife's head. So obviously Lawler's going to lose the belt because Lawler's hair wasn't even on the line. And then he shave his wife, <laughs> shave his wife's head <laughs> too. You know, like that's just crazy. Like you know, everybody there that anybody that had made a bet on that match amongst themselves, nobody in a million years thought that was going to happen. And I know Dundee is. I've heard him say in dressing rooms that you know they Jerry Jarrett paid him enough to make a down payment on a house uh, for his wife <laughs> to agree to to shave her head. You know, and I, I don't know what it would take me to get Rosie to agree to shave her head for a wrestling <laughs> match, but probably more than <laughs> Leslie Jones or Joel or. Anybody in Boonville would want to pay, but 
But you know, and that's that's somebody we've totally passed over somehow. I was talking about Bill Dundee and you know, his contribution to Memphis and all the things he did there and you know, you're talking about that I think it was the very first loser leave town match that he and Lawler did, you know, is one of the top five matches ever in Memphis wrestling history. And if you go back and watch that and it's a prime example of and, and a contribution to how well they how good a storytellers they were because they would work these fifteen twenty minute matches doing nothing but punches, just mm. back and forth. <laughs> and I mean, and, they, and you could tell, you know, and I don't know, I may be marking out a little bit, but you know, those so a lot of them shots look pretty solid. You know, oh yeah. But, and I've always said that I didn't think that. You know, Bill got the got all the credit that he really deserved in that whole deal because, you know, he was, you know, Lawler Lawler owned half the territory and he worked half the towns. Dundee didn't, you know, Dundee worked in the office and made all the towns. So Dundee was right. very much the workhorse of that whole thing. And, um, you know, I, I never really thought that he totally got all the credit that he deserved. No, absolutely not. And I think that's why he's somewhat bitter, you know, like he is, you know, today is, you know, I think he probably in his mind should have gotten more and, and he should have, I'm sure, you know, than, than what he did. But you brought, brought up a good point there. Like everything there was so uh, promo driven and story driven. You know, if you sit somebody down and they listen to me and you ramble on about how great Memphis wrestling was, but if you sat down and you put you picked ten matches from seventy nine up till they shut down <laughs> to the new age fan who base all their their you know ratings on spots and moves and action, uh, they would say the matches suck because like you said they might have a twenty minute match as you know Lawler working a chain for eighteen minutes of it back when he was a heel you know and and it was mostly kicks yeah. and punches and, and brawls you know because like I've I've gone back on YouTube and watched some of the matches that I remember as a kid thinking, oh, my God, that was the greatest thing ever. And I watched, I'm like, well, damn, they just, it was just punch, kick, brawl around ringside. Like, they really didn't do anything. But I remembered how psyched up I was about the promos that had happened the Saturday before and then the ones that happened, you know, the Saturday after. And it was it was mostly, mostly hype. But like you said, the, most of the shit looked legit. You know, it looked like they were beating the hell out of each other. So it was, it was easier to get into. Uh, but, yeah. you know, as far as today's fan, I don't think a lot of that holds up well. Like, if he was able to stick a bunch of Memphis wrestling on the on the network, I think they would like the promos, but I think they would shit on the matches because there's, there's not a lot there as far as content, as far as the matches go. Yeah. But but it's, it's still, you know, like you said, it's so believable. You know, and it's it, – people would have to – I mean, anybody that's trying to get in the business or in the business – needs to sit and watch that stuff because of, you know, the 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 the, the selling that was going on, the, the, the body language and how they told a story with their body and the way they their facial expressions and all that kind of stuff and I know we were um you know, we were having that we were with Derek, you know, having that conversation with that with that green kid at um in Amory talking about, yeah. you know, how your body language and your facial expressions can, you know, totally tell everybody, <laughs> you know, they, they, they could, that's what the story. 
<clears throat> but, you know, those matches were, like you said, there wasn't a lot of content to them, but, you know, they spoke volumes. And, like I said, I don't, I don't know that Bill gets uh, all the credit he deserves from that. No, definitely not. I, you know, he it, 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 a lot of people just remember it as well. Lawler sold out the Coliseum all them times. Well, if, you know, if Dundee wasn't over on the other side of the ring, you know, would they still have, have turned out like they did, you know, all those years? Because like you say, I mean, I've heard Scott Bowden wrote a, a column here back a few years back. And he, I mean, I didn't realize this, but, you know, they made it, Lawler and Dundee had main event at the Coliseum every Monday night for like 12 or 13 weeks at one point. Some variation of them, and a, you know, single tag, what have you. But for like 13, 14 weeks in a row, you know, they were in, they were in the match and they pretty much, you know, sold out week after week. That is, I mean, I don't think people appreciate how damn hard that is to do. <laughs> You know, the, well, I mean, or the fact that Lawler there. stayed over for that many years. Hell, it's hard to draw 100 people every week now. <laughs> yeah. Sure. It's a, yeah. A sellout crowd, you know, weekly, you know. Hell, world class, you know, they would they would run these big shows, these big, you know, those Texas Stadium shows like once every three months and, and, and draw. And, hell, you know, Memphis did it every week. Yeah. <clears throat> And WWE can go places twice a year now and not sell them out, you know, much less go to the same town every Monday night and do it, you know. Well, and that was, and I heard Cornette say this, that, you know, Memphis was the largest uh, revenue-generating territory ever because um, it did, you know, it it did a a weekly sellout or at least – you know, six or seven thousand tickets every week in the Mid South Coliseum. Yeah. It, it generated more money than anybody, you know, than any of the other territories. Well, like you said, I mean, it, it's the the storytelling they did, and and you know the the thing that and I've said this in the past. The thing that I'll say for both Lawler and Dundee that I don't know that many people could do, even back in in the eighties. If they had put a camera in the parking lot, you should have showed Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee pull up together, get out of the car together. They could have held hands walking in the door and walked out to the desk, started a promo. One of them say something, the other one, the other one cut them a look, and by the end of that promo, they could have a match set up for that day, and you would believe it and be into it and, and swear that the guys were ready to kill each other, even though you just seen them show. You know what I mean? Like they, they <laughs> yeah. Their promo skills were so good. That I mean, I, I've seen Lawler, Dundee, both, you know, kind of go from heel to babyface in the course of one promo. You know, a lot of times if they brought in somebody into town, you'd see Dundee was babyface. But if they brought in somebody who was a babyface from elsewhere, Dundee would kind of do a mild turn for a couple of weeks, and he'd say a couple of things. Well, you know what? That, you know, I got a problem with this guy from mid south, and Dundee would turn heel for like two weeks, do the do an angle, short angle with that guy, and then. In the course of one promo, turn right back. Kind of like what Shawn Michaels did against Hogan in 06. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was healed for that program, and then he went right back. Uh, it, it takes it takes talent to do that, and it takes talent to talk, you know, that many thousands of people into the same building every Monday night uh, for that many years, you know, for Lawler to stay over, for Dundee to stay over, and then uh, – 
you know, Jeff Jarrett always got a, a bad rap for being Jerry Jarrett's son and all that. But, you know, he uh, I, he kind of moved up in kind of the number three position at one point. And, you know, Jeff Jarrett at one time was – I wouldn't say he's over as much as Dunley and Lawler, but he was one of their top stars, and, and he had a lot of great matches at Angle there. And I think over the years with all the other stuff he's done, people have lost lost sight of that about what Jeff Jarrett meant to Memphis at one time. Hey, you're right. You know, and it's it's funny. You know, we could we could literally sit on and we could do a a, a week long episode on this and never stop talking about all the people that came through Memphis and oh uh, my God, uh, Don Bass. You got Eddie Gilbert, who we haven't even touched on. Doug Gilbert, Tommy Gilbert. Um, you know, you meant you brought up Brick the fabulous House ones. And, the fabulous ones, Jackie Fargo, uh, even going all the way back to Sputnik Monroe and Billy Weeks, who, who, uh, or Billy Weeks, who was the, uh, basically the first incarnation of Lawler and Dundee, you know, uh, Sputnik yeah. Monroe and, and Billy Weeks, you know, drew huge houses back when it was, uh, they were still doing wrestling at the, oh God, what was the name of that old building? Uh, wasn't the cook? Oh God! I know what you're talking about. Old. I can't think of it the name. It was downtown. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. But um, I mean, the it's Expo just Hall unreal. Ah, uh, no, that wasn't it. No. The uh, we, as soon as we get off the air, I'll remember it. But um, and then all of the all of the guys that went on to become huge superstars that came through there, Hulk Hogan, The Rock, uh, Stone Cold. Um, the Undertaker that we mentioned earlier, um, Jim Cornette got his start there. Um, my God, Dutch I mean, Mantel, all the great <laughs> yeah. promos and programs Dutch has been in over the years. Buddy Landale, um, you know, PG thirteen was probably one of the last oh creations Lord. of Memphis <laughs> that got over. You know, to the extent they did, and that's the thing. You know, we could do. This could be Memphis Wrestling Radio, and you could do a podcast every Sunday night for an hour and a half and never run out of, of stuff to talk about, like you said, because it's just an endless – anybody who is, you know, anybody from the, the 80s into the 90s passed through Memphis. You know, they may not have started there necessarily or spent a long time, but they, they came through. You, you you had to. It was like a rite of passage to, to you know, go to Memphis and, and – See if you could make it there before you moved on, you know, north or northward, if you would. But one name you mentioned a while yeah. ago, man, Sputnik Monroe. I remember being a kid, and like my dad and my uncles and stuff, you know, when they would get to talking about wrestling, and uh, they would tell me like, like, oh, you, you know, you should have seen Sputnik Monroe, and they'd tell me stories about Sputnik Monroe and the interns and a lot of those guys. And you know, I took a great interest in, in Sputnik Monroe and did a lot of reading up on him. I loved. One of the things I loved about the Memphis Heat documentary was was how much was you know in there about you know Sputnik Monroe and I've heard Cornette on various podcasts and, and Lawler talk about him and I think that's a guy that really doesn't get enough credit for what he did. I mean, especially like there in Memphis. I mean, outside of the wrestling, just uh, the fact that he had such a huge part, you know, at least on the surface and desegregating, uh, you know. The, the buildings there where they had the shows and, and things like that. Like, I don't know, like he was a huge fixture there in Memphis. And 
I think as we've moved on, like, I don't think he gets as much credit as he deserves either. You know, we talk about Dundee, but I, I think Sputnik Monroe should, should get a lot more credit than what he does for the things he accomplished in, in, in Memphis in general. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, and it's, it's just unreal the, the the amount of people that's come through Memphis and gotten their start there, and you know it's and it and it's still it's still um, uh, still relevant today. I mean, you still got you know, Lawler and Dundee are still here, and you know still drawing crowds, and you know, <laughs> my God, I mean, I, I've done wrestling shows myself where I've tried to book current guys to draw a crowd, you know, guys fresh off of television that weren't Lawler and Dundee and, you know, didn't <laughs> didn't draw that well and then you've got a show like this past Friday night where you had um uh, up in Ripley, Mississippi, you had Lawler, you had Dundee, you had Doug Gilbert, you had Grandmaster Sex A, Brian Lawler, um, all them guys and, you know, they do four hundred tickets. So, you know, they sell they yeah. basically sell out the building they're in. I mean it's uh if I've not learned anything else this weekend, uh, between being at the Oak Ridge Boys and that show in that show in Ripley Friday night is nostalgia still sails. I guess it always will. <laughs> You're not too old to draw. I tell you what, these uh, <laughs> these audio clips have just finished uploading. It took them long enough, but uh, we were talking about Terry <laughs> Funk and some of the great promos that he did. Uh, we've got a couple of these here. Let's uh, they're 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 kind of lengthy, so we'll, we'll play at least one of them, and uh, maybe we'll get to the other one. Then we've also got to close the show tonight, and you can stick around for uh, Jimmy Hart's Monday Night Memory song. There's some interesting references to different people throughout that song as well. So let's check out Terry Funk uh, cussing Jerry Lawler in this yeah. one right here. Hey, I'm here. I'm ready to wrestle. Where is Lawler? I told well, you that he, the son of a bitch didn't hey, have enough guts minute, to come on Sit down here. I said wait a second. that the man has everybody on his side. We man. would like to use this if it takes place later on, so please watch your language, will you? Because for crying out loud, we can't use a thing with you swearing like that. I don't give a damn. I came up here for a purpose to prove some son of a bitch and thing. And I'll tell you what I came to prove, that Lawler didn't have the guts. I knew that he wouldn't come in the ring, Lance. You tell me where he is. He wouldn't show up for nothing. It's just a little after 1 o'clock right now, anyhow. So just watch it and please try to watch it. Well, let's go ahead. Get in the damn ring and go ahead and count him out. I'm not counting. I'm not the referee in this thing. Count him out. You asked me to bring a camera. You cut him out of the son of a bitch right now. Come on, Terry. I told you people that Lawler did not have the guts to come down here before an empty arena, and he doesn't. Now you go ahead and count him out. If you don't, I'll count him out. All right. Well, you just ask us to bring the cameras down. That's what I did. We're here. Now you, I'm not I'm a here. referee. I'm here. I know. You're I'm gonna here. go ahead. Is he under the ring, Lance? Oh, Is he's Lawler not under, under the, the ring. ring. He hasn't. Is he up in the stand? He, he hasn't. He hasn't shown up in the yet. Press box? Where is he? He's I don't know where he is. Goddamn guts to come down here and meet me in the ring. I'm gonna count him out. One, two, three, four, five, six, 
seven, eight, nine, ten. He's out. I'm going to go ahead and declare myself the winner right now. Okay, fine. Well, that's great. The man was a coward that he didn't have the guts, that he didn't have anything, that he didn't have the intestinal fortitude. He is a son of a bitch. All right. Well, listen, okay, you proved your point on the thing. I've heard your shit long enough. All right. I've heard enough of your listen. shit. I've heard enough of the shit from the people of Memphis. I've heard enough shit from everybody about how good this man is supposed to be. Well, you just, just a little. He may have gotten tied up it's in traffic or something like it's that. I don't know. It's right now. Yeah, I know it's after one. I'm standing around here like an idiot, like a fool. Well, I'm a you, fool. You, I'm a fool. I'm an idiot. Standing okay, around. So you proved your Miller point. Thinks this kind of crap is funny. He thinks it's funny leaving me sitting around here like this. I knew that the man didn't have enough guts to get up here in the first place. Yeah. You tell me. I tell you that there's a good possibility that he got tied up some way and wasn't coming in here. Well, where am I? I know. Your plane oh, got oh, in on time. I understand that, I came all the way from Amarillo. Yeah, I know that. Why don't you go ahead? Why don't you think this, sir? You're on his side all the time. Hey. Why don't you go ahead and come up in here? I'd I'm like not. Listen, sorry, no, I'm not I'd interested like to have in a little that. Practice Will you knock that stuff off? I'd like to have, look, this, you're the one that... Tell me what hey, hey, come on. Okay, now look, Terry. You asked me to come down here. And I understand. And you treat me with hey, respect. Hey, well, wait. Just, you I didn't... Treat me with okay, respect. I didn't... I wouldn't mean anything personal about it, except give the guy a chance. It's just a couple of minutes past the time. You asked me to come down here and bring the cameraman down here, and we're here. And I'm here in the event that Lawler, we set up to show it and, and have the match in there. Now, we've done our part of the thing, and the fact that he's not here isn't my well, fault. Well, look who's here. They're over here, well, Randy. Well, look who's there. Well, is it into clown? Okay, I'm going to get over here and get... I'm going to get... Hey, Lawler! Come on up here. I'm going to break your crown. I'm going to break his crown, Lance. Look at that fool. Look at that idiot. Don't you realize that there's nobody here? You jackass. You're nothing but Jerry a... Lawler in his uh, regular wrestling attire with a crown I and the cape. I can't believe that you had the guts to show up. I can't believe you had the guts to he's, show up. He's here. Jerry. I can't believe okay. that he had the guts to show well, up. He's here. <laughs> I love that. Now, that is my favorite promo <laughs> of all time. And it, it in, is, um, <laughs> in Lawler's book, he he says that, and he Lawler said he didn't know what he was thinking when he because he put the cape and the crown and everything to go out there for the match. And he said, "Hell, there wasn't nobody there." He said the only thing that Terry Funk <laughs> said in that whole promo that was the truth was that he looked like a complete jackass walking out there with all that shit on <laughs> to nobody in the arena. Uh, you know, and, and, and you know, we're desensitized today because there's so much cussing and, and everything. Uh, yeah. In 1981, you know, you, you didn't cuss on TV and, and, you know, to hear that much beeping whenever they aired that, you know, people were, you know, were pretty taken aback by that. It was It was a huge deal. So, uh, you know, it was now they're like, well, why do they think it's so funny? He said, son of a bitch. And I'm like, well, I, you know, like I said, it was a big deal back then. That was, you know, pretty pretty salty talk said, for Saturday morning wrestling. He, yeah, he's like dropping GD and all kinds of Yeah. Stuff. That's unheard of in those days. Now, we got another one we may play in a minute. But before before we run out of time, there's another one I want to get to here because there's a name – uh, that came through Memphis that I don't think we've uttered just yet, uh, surprisingly. But, you know, one of the biggest stars ever in wrestling, 
Hulk Hogan came through Memphis yeah. at one time. Um, and, you know, you can say Carried arguably the, the three yeah. biggest names ever in wrestling were Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Rock. Well, guess what? They all started out in Memphis. Hogan came through. Steve Austin came through as Stunning Steve. Uh, the Rock was Flex Cavana. God help him. Uh, oh, in Memphis in the USWA. And so, uh, like I said, everybody come through. So Hulk Hogan came through, and we've got a promo here. Now, you know, we don't want to be ones to disparage Hulk Hogan. So you can decide if this qualifies for bad promo of the week or not. I'm not going <laughs> to say. But let's take a look. And, of course, obviously Hulk Hogan went on to be one of the best talkers in the business and, you know, was, was well known for his promos. But let's take a listen to an early, early Terry the Hulk Hogan promo from Memphis, Tennessee. Talk about Mr. Bass for a minute. Uh, one of the most tragic events in his life is just about to take place this Monday when I get my hands on him. There's just been a little bit of a problem. Where we come from, there's a bad junkyard dog in Port Tampa, you know, and he was always beating on all the little dogs and biting on their ears and everything. And all of a sudden, a little bit bigger dog came along. And last Monday in Memphis, my brother dropped so many eyes, I mean, so many elbows on uh, Mr. Bass's head that his eyes kind of look like goofy grape, you know. <laughs> well, now Mr. Bass is running scared because the big dog's good on him. Well, there's just a little bit bigger dog that's after you, brother, and that's me. And this Monday night in Memphis, Daddy, when I get a hold of you, Mr. Bass, I'm going to take you and bury your head right in the mat, brother. I'm going to teach you a little bit of a wrestling lesson and a little respect for these good people around here. And I'm going to put the super southern squeeze on you, Daddy. And when I get done with you, brother, I'm going to squeeze all that meanness out of you and all those bad ways you have. And I'm going to turn you over to these people in Memphis and let them whip on you a little bit after you're down and out. That's a promise I'm going to make to everybody here. And I'm going to have my running shoes on. So if you plan on running one more time for me, I'm coming after you. And if I catch you in the dressing room, I'm going to drag you all the way back out to the ring. And a lot of folks that I don't want mad at me, but this is the one that I for sure don't want mad at me. Uh, the Hulk and his brother Eddie Bowler will be right there Monday night. Good luck to you down there, you guys, and we'll be looking for it. Okay, Terry and Eddie, and uh, we've got more wrestling action coming up. <laughs> well, did you really think you weren't going to get a couple of brothers in there? <laughs> Daddy. I'm glad he dropped Daddy later on, but even then, oh, he was still God. dropping a couple of brothers in there for your brother. Yeah, and you do know, I mean, for everybody listening, I, for trivial matters, does, does everybody realize who Eddie Boulder was that they were referring to there? In the words of the beloved Conrad Thompson, <laughs> Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake. <laughs> there you go. That's that's it. They were brothers even back then. So there you go. One of the early, early Hulkster promos. And, yes, you did get two brothers in there, but you got a couple of daddies in there as well. <laughs> and the Southern Squeeze is going to squeeze the meanness out of, out of Ron Bass. Well, that was probably going to take a while. So, there you go. So, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and uh, let's at least play at least part of this other promo we got with Lawler and Funk here. Listen, Jerry, I was contacted by Terry Funk, and, and Funk wanted to have a little time. I don't get that look on Terry your face. Funk. Yeah. Um Terry Funk had a challenge and some comments. We accommodated him, and if you would, I'd like you to stand here and listen to to this wild man, Terry Funk. WA World Heavyweight Champion Terry Funk has uh, something that he wants to explain about, and we uh, are obliging him with that time. First of all, I'd like to say that Jerry Lawler is a son of a jackass. He's a lover of chickens. 
He has a one-track mind the same way a hog does at supper time or slop time. He's got a one-track mind just as that hog does, but he's not concerned about slop. I want to tell you, Lance, what he's concerned about. The man is concerned about money and money alone. And within this area right here, he has got the fans on his side. And besides having the fans on his side, he has got the police on his side. And besides the police being on his side, he's got the officials on his side. And I would like to say this, he's got you on his side. This is a completely one-sided thing where Jerry Lawler is involved. Now, I am telling you people that he has got one thing on his mind, and that's money. And I'm going to prove to you, Lance that he doesn't have any guts. And you see right here is I have got a date, I have got a time, and I have got a place. This is a personal invitation sealed right here to Jerry Lawler to ask him to meet me by himself with nobody else involved at an area that I know, he knows, and you will know, and I want you to bring the camera down there, but I don't want a referee. I don't want the police. I don't want the fans. I don't want money for this. What I want is I want to compete against Jerry Lawler, and I want to get him down and hold him down, and I want to make him say to me, me personally terry funk you are the better man terry funk oh terry funk oh please let me up and let me go that's what i want to make him holler i want to see if he's got the guts to come down there the guts like I don't think a lot of people have around here. And I'm talking about the fans, Lance. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about a lot of different people. But Lawler does not have the stinking guts to come down there where no money is involved, where nothing is involved except personal pride. And I do have Texas pride, believe me. Yeah, there it is. Take this. Okay, I will take it, and I will deliver it to a lover of chickens always kills me every time I hear that part. Son of a jackass and lover of chickens. Oh, Terry, well, you're a son of a jackass. <laughs> but you know, oh, that's great and, stuff. But you know, Terry Funk is the only one I, I think that could. I mean, he could, he's the only one that could get that promo over. I mean, could you imagine hearing mm-hmm. anybody else say that promo? Oh, yeah. He's the only one to yeah, get away with that. Absolutely. We're about out of times, but uh, you know, I've enjoyed talking Memphis wrestling with you tonight. I know it's it's something near and dear to your heart as it is mine as well. And uh, through the week, uh, we'll try to throw some of these videos that we've referenced and some of these angles we've talked about tonight. We'll try to throw some YouTube videos up on localstolegends.com. So just kind of check in throughout the week. We'll have you some videos uh, on there to check out. And you can see some of these great matches and angles that me and Neil's talked about here tonight. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's some fun stuff to watch there, especially, um, you know, talking about going back to the the Lawler Funk angle, definitely. We to, we'll, we'll definitely put some of that stuff up. Even if you don't watch the matches and just watch the the promos leading up to it and then watch the pro, the, the aftermath promos are, are <laughs> entertaining enough. And, um, yeah. And like you talked about earlier, the match with uh, – Lawler and Austin Idol, where Tommy Rich come from out from under the ring, and they did the, they posted him and all that. We'll we'll definitely have to throw that stuff up there. And I know the uh, the full David Letterman segment is out there as well, and then we'll try to hunt that up and, and post that for everybody. Uh, but uh, yeah, I want to go ahead and mention uh, unedited, absolutely. Which it was a long <laughs> time before that turned up, so that's really cool. Next week, uh, we're going to be joined by uh, a friend of ours who's a, a great independent wrestler from Tennessee that travels throughout the southeast. Jeremiah Plunkett's going to be here. And uh, I've uh, I've been friends with Jeremiah for a while. He's worked some shows for me. He's wrestled Neil uh, before over in Ripley. So we're looking forward to having Jeremiah on. I mean, he's traveled to Australia. He's, he's done a lot of big things in wrestling, and we look forward to talking to him uh, next week. And then in two weeks, on the 21st, we're going to be joined by the Golden Boy Greg Anthony will be on the show, so we got a couple of couple of good guests lined up the next couple of weeks. Neil, man, that's uh, that's fun, and I uh, just kind of knowing Greg Anthony personally, you know, he has uh, kind of uh, took fire as far as the NWA stuff goes, uh, and it should be a lot should be uh, pretty interesting to hear some of his stories and, and some of the experiences he's had over the last year to year and a half. Um, I, I'm 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 excited to to hear from him and and from Jeremiah Plunkett. Uh, Jeremiah's a guy. Uh, just I actually met him the first time through uh, your Twin State Wrestling promotion and uh, enjoyed working with him. He's uh, he's definitely uh, one of the old schoolers, and that uh, should make for a good conversation. Hell yeah, he's he's keeping it alive for sure. So uh, we look forward to those two shows. And uh, if you're listening, if you're a wrestler, if you're interested in being on the show, reach out to us. And uh, we'll try to get you on the schedule and get you in here and then talk some wrestling with you. Uh, check us out, localstolegends.com. But right now, we're about to close out with what I mentioned earlier. This is Jimmy Hart singing Monday Night Memories and listen to some of the wrestlers he references in this song. Neil, I'll catch you next Sunday night. Thanks to everybody for listening. Here's Jimmy Hart. Watch them every 
Jackie Fargo said, put up your dukes. The girls thought the fabulous ones were cute. Sputnik Monroe, Don and Al Green, the Gilberts and the Funks, I thought they were so mean. I watched them every Saturday on TV. I couldn't wait till they climbed in the ring. Everybody knows Monday night memory. 